This is Attention, the audio journal for architecture. You are listening to issue four, How Musicians Think About Space. To most musicians, echoes, flutter, room resonance, and too much or too little reverberation are acoustical defects distracting from the experience of the music. The same goes for unintended noises, whether it's audience members coughing, or an air conditioning fan whirring, or traffic noise from outside the venue. But to Daniel Neumann, an audio engineer, sound artist, and composer based in Brooklyn, acoustical defects, peculiarities, and intrusions are not a problem. Instead, they provide a rich source material for his compositions. Following in the tradition of musique concrète and sound artists like Alvin Lussier, Daniel takes environmental sounds that would normally be considered disturbances or distortions and highlights them in his work. The space of the performance becomes the object of Daniel's composition as much as the signals he plays into it. You just heard a brief excerpt from one of Daniel's works, and later in this piece, we'll be playing an iteration of Daniel's composition, Free Field, Pressure Field, Diffuse Field, in its entirety. But first, I interviewed Daniel about the composition and about the origins and motivations of his practice. I started working as a sound engineer for live concerts before I started my media arts studies. And as a life engineer, you're dealing with the sound in specific spaces with the goal of neutralizing the space or basically like trying to minimize the effects that the specific space has on the sound. I worked for a company, they were called uh, Naturton, and my regular venue was uh, was called Moritz Bastai. They're still around, and they're a very difficult room. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about the character of the the room and how you fought against it? Yeah, as an it's engineer? sort of like the size. It fits three hundred people mm-hmm. standing, and musically, all sorts of styles, bands, everything came through. So for me, it was actually a very good sort of education because I got to mix very different musics mm. from jazz music talk shows, normal rock bands, hip-hop, death metal, industrial, goth stuff, like everything came through. And it all had to fit in this one (laughs) space. Yeah, and so in the space, it it was called uh, die Veranstaltungstonne, which means the event barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Because the ceiling was brick, it was all brick. And the ceiling was a round, like, tunnel shape. And then some kind of stone floor. And then in the back or behind the stage, there was another round indented thing that acted like a horn of a megaphone. If some band, because they were too big, had to put the drummer into that cone thing, it was basically over. (laughs) So... Did you ever have to go and rearrange the band on stage? or Every uh, time when a drummer came, we, we tried to tell him, don't set up in that thing. 
that was basically our welcome <laughs> <laughs> for every for every band because they didn't know. But if they set up back there, the drums were so loud acoustically, mm -hmm. and then they were also shooting into the other microphones on the stage. Daniel didn't have any recordings from his time at the event barrel, but it didn't take me long to find a YouTube video from the venue showing exactly what he was talking about. So you were constantly fighting against the bad acoustics, the focusing effects, I imagine, the ceiling and the apps combined. Yeah. Was there a certain point where you began to appreciate those acoustical oddities? Do you think that had an influence on your current practice of looking for the peculiarities of rooms? I think that influence is definitely there. And I think that became an early interest of mine. Just by having to deal with these different spaces, I became more and more fascinated by the peculiarities. Is that how you say it? <laughs> peculiarities. Peculiarities, yeah. Uh, of each space. And so in my artwork, I basically do the inverse job of a live sound engineer. How does the character of each space inform the kind of signal content that you develop for your performances and installations? I definitely like using materials that could be described as more like abstract in the sense that you don't really know what the sources hmm. of those materials are. That's a choice of mine as a composer. I like to work with these textures and sounds that can't immediately be read in this anecdotal way hmm. where you know, oh, right, there's a helicopter flying over and then there's a grasshopper <laughs> chirping in the corner because... For me, it's more interesting to put the audience in an acoustic environment that they have to figure out as a constant process of trying to understand. My intention is to always keep the audience at a threshold. Something becomes a familiar rattle or drone, but then it may shift away or something else pops up. Or I often also combine different spatial recordings mm -hmm. of past performances, past installations, and overlay them. So then there are multiple spaces basically overlaid, which also keeps our brain busy in trying to figure out, okay, so what's the space that I'm in right now? And then when you take, let's say there's two spaces playing at the same time, and then you take one away, it's like this weird moment of like, I'm somewhere else now. Daniel and I next talked about a number of his works, one that really caught my attention and one that really captures his practice and the one we are going to listen to shortly is a work that he has performed in a range of different acoustical environments called free field, pressure field, diffuse field. The piece is made of test tones, acoustic test tones, that I use, again, in my professional sound engineering to quickly test big PA systems. And I'm always also fascinated by these utilitarian tones that are so uh, sort of soulless and so, like... Can you describe rational. what some of these tones are? 
Um, there's one like low frequency sweep mm-hmm. that just sweeps from 200 hertz down to 20 hertz. So it just goes over a longer period and I can't go uh, <laughs> that low. Then there's just plain sine waves or pulses. And then there's so-called aliasing tests. Then there's different noises. There's white noise, pink noise, brown noise, blue noise, and gray noise. I use those. And so that's half of the material for the piece. And then there's field recordings. which are basically on the other side of the spectrum because field recordings made of either spaces or outdoors, there's a lot of complexity. It's, it's very hard to control. There's lots of things going on. It has a depth to it. It has a spatial identity to it. There's a structure. There's little micro things going on. And so with these two materials, uh, I compose the piece. Daniel assembled his test tones and field recordings and performed the piece four times in four very different spaces. He started in Leipzig, in a nightclub. Initially, I composed it for bigger PA systems to also work out the dynamic range of those systems. The, the performance in Leipzig, for example, was in a techno club, uh, EFZ, so they had a really nice PA system. And... For me, it was just to explore this club space from a completely different angle than a dance party, but then also bring in this sort of rational engineer's exploratory sense where you first test the highs, then you test the mids, then you test the bass. But the idea was not to normalize or equalize the room, but to find what was strange about it. Yeah, Uh, to sort of articulate it and articulate the dynamic range of the system, the frequency range of the system. Also, again, to make the audience more aware of what is this space that you usually walk into and it's blasting periodic rhythms at you. Daniel next performed the piece outdoors at a cultural center in Chemnitz. To me, what was fascinating there, because it also had just rained, was to make a piece that really lives in this sonic environment while not having the direct architectural response to what I'm playing. I have a whole environment with Mm. a train that went by then the birds started, the rain was still dripping, there was wind going on. There was a lot of things going on, but not too overwhelming. And so for that piece, even though the speakers were capable to also be very loud, to me, it was more interesting to stay around the threshold of the background, to sort of play with the environment and around the environment. And people said it was sometimes fascinating, also because I used some field recordings in my piece. So sometimes for an audience, it was difficult to figure out if it was part of my playback material or just the environment. After Chemnitz, Daniel was invited by Kasim Massa to play the piece live on his NTS radio show. 
I'm curious about how the language of that piece went from a physical space to the space of radio. Mm -hmm. What it, you had to react to, if not a physical room. Yeah, that was the difficult part. I mostly worked over headphones. And then we had some studio monitors. But I didn't want to play for Kasim's studio room because other people listen to it in other ways. That's why I wanted at least these two ways hmm. between headphones and speakers. And then I was more focusing on the material itself rather than the spatial responses. But in the middle of the show, Kasim said that there was some feedback from audience members that I made somebody's windows rattle. And that I love. That, and that was enough for me. Then I was like, <laughs> okay, awesome. An environmental response that went beyond something you could respond to yeah. in a way that kind of happened beyond the boundaries of that performance and of my control. as you understood it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are now going to listen to a stereo recording of the final iteration of Free Field, Pressure Field, Diffuse Field at the Fridman Gallery in New York. In the gallery, Daniel set up four loudspeakers, one in each corner, with two additional speakers behind the office wall and two subwoofers. What you're about to hear is not only the signals Daniel played through the speakers, but also the gallery's acoustical feedback, reverberation, resonances, noise from the air conditioning system and the audience and the city outside. And on top of that, the sound of the environment you are currently listening in. These layers are all part of Daniel's piece, so listen closely and enjoy.
This issue of Attention was produced by Willem Boning. The senior editors were Joseph Bedford and Kurt Gambetta. The production consultant was Griffin O'Feish, and technical assistance was provided by Brendan Smith. A track list of all the music played in this piece is available at www.attentionjournal.com. Visit the website or find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app to listen to previous issues and subscribe. Special thanks to Daniel Neumann for the interview and for sharing his compositions. To listen to more of Daniel's music and art, check out his website at www.danielneumann.org. This issue was recorded in the Arup Sound Lab in New York City. Arup is an independent firm of designers, planners, engineers, and consultants working across every aspect of today's built environment, including acoustics. Attention is a part of the Architecture Exchange, a platform dedicated to catalyzing debate and discourse in architecture. This is Attention, the audio journal for architecture.